then let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 43. Isaiah chapter number 43. And uh, the new year's coming. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the new year. Something other than 2020. I, uh, I've determined uh, we can look at 2020 and I'm ready to write it off. Uh, all the way around. I mean, I, I, I want to do so with my taxes. I want to do so with everything that I can. I want to write 2020 off. Uh, I am ready to move on. And uh, so much that uh, it's uh, unbelievable. But uh, we're going to uh, look, and as we uh, enter the new year, it's only natural to look back a little bit over the previous year, consider what was accomplished or what wasn't accomplished. Uh, we, uh, but, uh, and it's true in our professional life as well as our personal life, but uh, it's uh, true in our spiritual life. And uh, I'd ask you to, to, to maybe over the next couple of days to maybe ask a couple of questions. How much time did I spend in God's Word? How much time did I spend in, in God's Word this last year? How consistent was I in my prayer life? Or did my, uh, did my witness help bring anybody to Jesus? Did my giving reflect my heart for God? Did, uh, and was Sunday school uh, worship, uh, was it a priority? So how was your spiritual life last year and what changes are necessary to, to uh, take it to the next level in this coming year? Consider this, what, uh, what did you see God do this year? What did you see God do this year? And not only through you, but around you. And I don't know about you, but I saw some neat things this past year. I started making some notes and some things I saw God do around me. Uh, I saw God restore a couple of broken marriages, and I said, that's awesome. I saw him save souls of, of uh, many in, in uh, uh, children, convicts, Muslim uh, that come to Christ, uh, a uh, uh, an attempted suicide victim that come to Christ, teenagers and adults. Um, I uh, had the privilege to go down and I, I spoke of a, of a family or of a, of a home uh, that uh, folks that have been tied up in, in uh, different addictions and how God had, uh, has done a work down there and what an exciting ministry they have. But I saw him give hope to the hopeless. I saw him forgive, uh, give forgiveness to the fallen and I've seen him transform lives. Uh, it's been exciting to see some of the things. If you look at 2020, and I, I look at all of that list, and I said, man, it wasn't a waste. Not at all. It was not a waste, not for a minute. And what did you, what did you see God do around you? And I'd encourage you to maybe make that list, kind of like I did. Make the list. What did you see God do? You know, sometimes we don't see God working because we, would, we weren't opening our eyes to look. We didn't see what it was that he was doing. Sometimes I've got to open my eyes to see how God's been working through the different situations in, in, uh, in my life and the different places that he's had me and uh, the wonderful things that have gone on. What, what would you say if, uh, if I said, well, God's ready to do something new? I'm sure everybody in here would go, I hope so. I hope 2021 would be something new uh, would come along. But uh, a new thing that's better or bigger or greater or mightier than what you saw him do in the last year through you and around you. And uh, let me say that if we continue dwelling on the old things that God's done, we're not uh, going to see the new things that he has in store for us and the plan for us and focusing on the past. And, and as great as it was, tends to blur our focus on today. So in other words, it's hard to see in front of us when we're constantly looking behind. But, uh, I remember uh, uh, the, uh, when I, I, I ran track. And uh, for a year, 
I think it was only a year. I might have ran two years of track, but I remember I tried to run the hurdles. Now, there's something wrong with short people running hurdles, by the way, just so we get that out there. Um, I was supposed to run the hurdles. I didn't realize it until I got into it a little ways that uh, the actual bar was higher than my waist. I had trouble. I couldn't, I, 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 it was easier for me to kick them over than it was to uh, actually go over them. And uh, so I learned that fancy way of kicking. You put that foot out there and bam, you knock it down. It worked. You could get down through there. You weren't supposed to do that, but that's what I, I did all right at it and uh, uh, got through there. But, you know, I, I look at it and I go, it was so funny because what is it the coach kept telling me? I was always concerned because when I kicked them, if, the, if it went out of my lane, then it, it cost me. It cost me. And so I was always concerned. The more that I kicked them, the more I was looking like this. Well, you can't run straight when you look behind you. If you haven't figured that out, you can't stay in your lane. And uh, I got in trouble for that a few times as well. And, uh, but you know what? We've got to look forward. And that's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 4, 13 and 14. When he talked about, brethren, I, don't count you, uh, I don't, do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me, reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the prize. For the, uh, I press toward the mark for the prize, the, the, the upward calling of, of God in Christ Jesus. Well, as great as God has been in the past, uh, in us, through us, and around us, God has something special for us ahead. He's got a plan for us, a, a plan for you, a plan for me. In other words, if you think God did some incredible things last year, then we can look at it this way and say, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. And that's what we find him telling the children of Israel in Isaiah 63. And so we're going to pick up the account beginning in verse number 18, and we're going to read down through verse 21. So Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse number 18. And the scripture says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a, a new thing, now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness, in the rivers, uh, in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Now as we think about God's new thing for this year, we find in verse number 18, there's a promise. He said, I'll do a new thing. It'll spring forth. It's kind of like the kids downstairs. Every time I think we got that figured out, our timing figured out, they're down there making noise. I'm not sure. They must feels like they're in this corner of the building. I'm not sure. Probably right underneath me in that room. and uh, But uh, right as we're reading the Word of God, I always think that's funny when they manage the time. We couldn't time that if we tried to. Oh, yeah, do that at this time. But anyhow, let's promise. Let's look at the promise. And what an incredible truth that's there that uh, God has done for us. He has uh, even more to do for us. What he has planned for this new year uh, and is different than what we saw last year it's different he said behold i'll do a new thing so what does that mean when when god says i will do well the hebrew translated uh, do speaks of working or laboring in other words god is going to be laboring throughout the year on your behalf 
He's going to be laboring on, in, on your behalf. In other words, God's going to, to be working and he's going to be creating, building, accomplishing his purposes in, through, and around you for his glory and for his good and for your good as well. The things he's going to be doing are not uh, old things, uh, things you've seen him do before, but new things. New things, things you've never seen him do before, things you've never seen him accomplish before. See, God has some things for, for us this year and things that we've never seen him do before. And, and you, we can know that they're good things. We read in James chapter 1 and verse 17 when he said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance or, or, or shadow of turning. Now, it's not like the children of Israel had never seen God do anything. I mean, you kind of walk through and you go, in fact, he, he reminds them that uh, uh, beginning in verses 16 and 17 of some of those things. He said, thus the Lord who uh, makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who, who brings forth chariot and horse and army and a power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinguished, they'll, they'll be quenched uh, uh, like the wicked. And what's that a reference to? Well, the Exodus. Look back at the Exodus and, and uh, when God divided the Red Sea and the children of Israel walked on dry ground and on the other side, then God destroyed their, their enemies. They were still talking about what had happened to their forefathers. They were still reaching back and in, in, in back, in fact, thousands of years earlier, still talking about it. As wonderful as it was, look at what God tells them in verse 18. Do not remember the former things. Consider the things of old. Let me tell you something. It's easy to get stuck in the past, isn't it? Isn't it easy to get stuck in the past? You know, the old days. The old days. And you know, it's easy for, for, for us to get stuck in, in those. It's one thing to appreciate what God has done in the past. It's another thing to dwell on. And here's why. Dwelling on the old things can cause us to miss seeing the new things. It blurs our vision. God doesn't want us asking what Gideon asked in Judges 6 and verse 13 where he said, Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? He wants us experiencing miracles today rather than simply retelling the miracles of yesterday. He wants us to see the things of, of today. Don't remember the former things. Consider the things of old. I'll do a new thing. One, uh, one translation read it this way. It said, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. And so what new thing did God promise? Well, continue reading verse number 19 of our text. He said, I'll do a new thing. It'll spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'll make a way in the, in the, in the desert or in the wilderness and a road in the wilderness and in a desert, a road in the a rivers in the desert. You can put it down. The same power that made a way in, in the sea can make a way in the wilderness. The one that made it a, a way on dry land and the, and the waters can produce waters in the driest of lands. He said, I'll make a road in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. He promised to provide a road for them to travel, to get to where he wanted to, to lead them, to produce a river where rivers are not found. You see, his new thing was going to be a supernatural road that's to steer him and a supernatural river to sustain them. So 
let me remind you about this year. God will provide everything we need to fulfill his purpose. Everything we need to fulfill his purpose. God says, if you, you think you've seen me at my best among those who came before you, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. Behold, I'll do a new thing. So God's promise of a new thing. And secondly, God's promise of uh, our purpose of a new thing. Why a new thing? What was God's purpose in, in laboring and accomplishing something greater and mightier than he'd already done? Uh, and more importantly for us, why would God want to do a new thing in, in your life and mine? And, and well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to satisfy. Anybody felt unsatisfied this year in the midst of all of this chaos? You look and you go, there's the, the to satisfy. Notice our text, he says, The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, to give drink to my people, my chosen. My chosen. God's greatest delight is to satisfy his people. Our God loves satisfying us. He loves us. His greatest uh, or he creates our hunger so we so he can fill it. He creates all of our desires so he can satisfy. I could speak of the meals. Somebody uh, might say, what, uh, we could talk of love languages. I've spoken of them many times. And uh, I really think it's funny because I am, uh, I fall in this category. I've determined, my wife speaks my love language by teaching my girls how to cook. <laughs> how to bake and how to cook. That's one way they express love, by cooking. Um, and it's really kind of funny because I got put to work on Christmas. I didn't get to just sit around and eat all day. I thought I was going to get to, and oh no, when everybody's in the process of doing cooking, what did they do? They put me to work in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, man. I had to do the sweet potato souffle. Yeah. Thank you, Christian. That's a, it sounds really good, doesn't it? Especially when lunch is coming. See, now, now you're going, oh, man, the preacher's going to do one of those illustrations to us. No. But it's really kind of funny because the, uh, the, the pleasure in cooking or watching someone take pleasure in the eating of what you've made. It's really kind of a neat thing. And I can say, well, I'm a blessed man in that area, but uh, let me show you something about God and, and how God, the God of, of the Scripture, one of his languages, love languages, satisfying the hungers of our life. And, uh, and we can't miss it. He, he creates the hunger so that he can satisfy them. So that he can satisfy them. It would, he would be a cruel God to create a hunger and not be capable of satisfying it. That would be cruel. But not our God, not, not the God of the Bible. In fact, it, it's one of his love languages to satisfy the hungers of our life. Isaiah 58 and verse number 11. The, the scripture says over there, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and 
Why does God satisfy your soul in drought? Because it's one of his love languages. It's who he is. Back in Isaiah 58.10, we find that he can satisfy the afflicted soul. And we can put it down. There's not a sorrow on earth that heaven cannot satisfy. Not, not, a, not a one. And, and so here's God's purpose of a new thing. He can satisfy us, all, uh, us, but also to glorify him. Not just to satisfy, but that we'd give him the glory. This people I have formed myself. Notice in, in, uh, for myself, they, will, uh, they shall show forth my praise. They'll show forth his praise. So here's why God does a new thing in our lives, so that we can praise him. I fear that we sometimes miss God's new thing because he knows that we that, that will want the praise. Let me get the praise instead of giving him the praise. Let me show you something about the, what God tells us. In, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is scanning the building and he's looking for those that are loyal and that refuse to, to rob him of the glory, to do a new thing in their life this year. Yes, to satisfy us, but to also that we would glorify him, that we give him the credit, that we don't miss experiencing God's new thing this year because of our pride. We ought to be quick to give him the glory and watch God's new thing come, come our way this year. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2 and Verse number 9 when he said, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people. Why? That we might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So God's promises of a new thing and God's purpose of a new thing, but I want you to notice the prospect. In verse 22 we discover that we have no prospect of, of experiencing God's new thing this year in our life without realizing two things. One is man's failure. Man's failure. Down there in verse number 22, the scripture says, But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast, hast, hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of, of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifice. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. You look and, and he tells us, he says, you've not called upon me, O Jacob. Their life, uh, their prayer life had ceased. Their petitions to God had stopped. They had stopped calling out to God. And all along, their prayers to God, their praises to God had stopped. And somewhere along the way, in verse 23, you've, you've not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings. You've not honored me with your sacrifice. No words to God, no worship to, uh, of God from the people of God. It's sad to say, but, but it sounds like too many folks today. Where we've gotten to come to the place where there's no words and no worship and no time. And and, and do you know why? Because the people of God have stopped praying, praising, and the God that delivered them time and time again, generation after generation. And the answer to that question is critical. Here's why. Our prayers to God, our praise to God stops for the same reason that the reasons found in verse 22. Because you've been weary of me, O Israel. You quickly tired of me, one version says. The things of God had become old hat. It's like some of those toys that were given this last week. 
I really think it's kind of funny to see how long do they last. How long do they last before they get old? Sometimes they don't make it all the way into to the new year. How long do they last before they're of no interest again? I always joked with Heather when kids were little, why don't we just give empty boxes? They seem to last longer. They really do. They, the, you look and you go, man. But it didn't take long for the newness to wear off. After playing with them for a while, you get tired, you get bored with it. That's exactly what happened to the children of Israel, except it wasn't a toy that they got bored with. It was an almighty God. And as a result, they stopped praying, they stopped worshiping, they stopped giving. And as a result, we hear God say in verse 22, You've burdened me with your sins. You've wearied me with your iniquities. So here's how you can tell if we've, we've grown tired of God. Our praying has stopped. Our worship stopped. Our giving stopped. What once excited us no longer excites us. What once was important is no longer important. Once, what once occupied our time and money no longer does. You've been weary me, O Israel. God's prospect of a new thing begins with, with you realizing not only man's failure, but God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Look down there in verse 25, and he tells us, I, even I, am he that blotteth out transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. I love that portion of scripture. And you say, who is it that blots out the transgressions? It's not me. It's God. He's the one that blots out. And he says, I won't remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Bring me back to mine. Let's contend together. State your case. You'll be acquitted. What a picture of grace. He remains faithful. He remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. God reminds us that he forgives sinners that are worthy of his forgiveness. I love that portion right there, verses 25 and 26, because he said, I'm the one that blots out the transgressions. I will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Hey, by the way, who's got to go? I've got to do the repenting. I've got to be the one that comes confessing. I've got to be the one that gets down on my knees that he would declare that thou mayest be justified. That I would be the one made, just as if I'd never sinned. What is it that, that Romans 5, verses 7 and 8, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He commendeth his love. He demonstrated it. He's the substitution. He says, state your case that you might be acquitted. Psalm 51 and verse number 10 said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your right, generous spirit. God sends a renewal to the weary and a revival to the bored. He's planned a new thing for us this year. And my prayer is that we don't miss what God has for us. That our fellowship will not miss what God has for us. I get so excited. I like New Year's. I'm really good. There's, if there's one thing I like to do, I do it every fall, and then I do it at the beginning of the beginning of the year as well. As I like to go back and do that evaluation. 
I know many of you aren't football fans. But I grew up on the football field. And those of you that you, you may not realize, but on, uh, when, when you get into high school, they start taking things real serious. And all of a sudden, what happened? Well, you'd practice all week long, and then you'd play a game on Friday night. That's fine and dandy. And then on Monday, we'd show up to, to school, and if you could get out of class, you did so. So that you get over into the coach's office to sit down and watch the game. And we'd watch that film. And you'd watch the film once, fast forward in the slow time, sometimes bragging on yourself where you did something good. Because you knew that after school you're going to watch it again and you're going to watch it with the whole team. And usually when you come off the field, Coach Poole had a knack for doing one of these things to everybody on the field. You come off the field, and if that yellow hanky came out of somebody's pocket, those striped guys have those yellow hankies they like to throw in the air. And if you come off the field saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, he was looking for the privilege to call you out on it. We'd watch that film, and he'd go, Morris. Always liked listening to Morris. And Morris would come off the field, and Morris would go, I didn't do it, coach. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. What do you mean you didn't grab that guy's face mask? I saw you drag him down by his face mask. And he's going, but I didn't do it, coach. And he says, we'll see Monday. We'll see on Monday. It didn't matter whether we were winning or losing. We'll see on Monday. Because you know better than to grab that face mask. Morris goes, I didn't do it. Monday, we'd watch that video, watch that film. And it was funny because we'd watch the film. And it was, you knew certain ones like, Morris was, because he was always getting in trouble, because there were lots of yellow hankies for Morris. And uh, so we would give Morris a hard time. Morris, and he'd say, I didn't do it. And we'd get to that part of the game, and we'd back it up, and we'd show it. Morris, you grabbed that mask. We'd back it up. Morris, you grabbed that mask. Morris, you did it again. And we'd keep going back and forth. Morris go, I didn't do it. And then coach would come in the office and he'd go, Morris, have you made it to that part of the game yet? And you'd watch Morris just collapse. His whole countenance from being great big tall Mo to being just as little and as puny as he could possibly be. And he'd go, yes, coach. Did you grab that mask? Yes, I said, coach. He says, I'll see you after practice. i see you after practice. And you knew on Monday it was, it was belly whopping day. You're going to run about 10 yards. You're going to hit the whistle, and you're going to lay out, and you're going to land on your belly, and then you're going to jump and run as fast as you can for about another 10 yards, and he's going to do it again and again and again all the way across the field. When you get to the other end, he's going to tell you, are you winded yet? And you're going to stand up, and you're going to say, no, coach, because you, you weren't smart enough to say yes. And uh, you, uh, you turn around and get, no, coach, and he'd say, all right, let's go back then, and he'd start hitting that whistle again, and we'd come running back, landing on our bellies all the way back. And everybody's ready to kill Morris. Why? Because that yellow hanky come out of pocket. Morris got to run extra after we all ran with him. What were they teaching us? They were teaching us to discipline ourselves, weren't they? Discipline yourself. By the way, it costs the whole team. It costs the whole team. You know what? As we walked through and we looked at our fellowship, at our church, what a privilege we have this next year. 
we have a generation we're talking about in Sunday school. I believe we have a generation of people that are asking, who is God today? I think they're asking, where is God as well? Where is God? Who is God? And how nice it is to be able to say, I know where he lives within me. And what an opportunity we have to be able to share and to see God do something special in somebody's life. I also believe that God wants to use us not only in reaching people, but he can't wait to hear you say, let me tell you what he's done in, in my life. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Let me, let me tell you. Nobody can argue with that one. Let me tell you what he's doing in my life. It's always fun to come across the, in that piece and go, hmm. And the ministry opportunity that takes place to meet somebody's need right where they are. But we have to be willing to say yes, God, to your plan, wherever it might lead. We've talked about the having the girls in our home, and and uh, <laughs> once your kids reach an age, it's kind of nice to have a quiet house. You know that. Now I went backwards. I, I figured it out the other day. I finally figured it out. I went seven years backwards. So Hannah's at 19, and the girls, you know, wait a minute, they're 13 now. And there's a 16-year-old now in our home. And I'm like, this is nuts. This is crazy. But I think it's interesting to look and say, make a statement to one of them the other day, and I said, you know, God's got a plan for you, and he's got a design for you. I know it, but you got to be willing. You got to be willing to say yes to that plan. Because if we're not willing to say yes to that plan, then you know what? We're walking in our own. We're walking in our own. I'm in the process right now of breaking up a little piece that I've been looking at for a good little while now. I said what are the things that we put before God what are the things that young people put before God what are the things that we put ahead of him and I thought it was funny because somebody came in the door yesterday and uh, they came in the door and before they sat down they were already playing a, a game on their phone and I said there's one and I started writing in my little book and I said you know what and I I said, I seem to remember God saying, let there not be any other gods put before me. Well, it's okay to play a game. I said, I didn't say it wasn't okay to play a game. But I have several other questions. Have you read your Bible yet before you put that thing up today? Have you talked with God today? Have you had a conversation? He wants to do a new thing. Am I willing? Am I willing to say, yes, Lord, your design, your plan, I'm ready to go. Are we willing?